Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Today is Friday, April 16, 2021. On this day in 2012, 33-year-old Anders Bering Breivik stood trial for massacring 77 people in a fatal explosion and mass shooting. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of this killer's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode contains dramatizations and discussions of terrorism, extremist beliefs, and violence against children that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today, we're covering the trial of Norwegian terrorist Anders Bering Breivik. Let's go back to Oslo on April 16, 2012, just after 9 a.m. Courthouse chatter fell to a hush when 33-year-old Anders Bering Breivik entered the room. The anti-Muslim extremist was oddly striking, tall, blonde, and confident in a pitch-black suit. Breivik knew all eyes were on him, so he shot out his arm, clenching his fist in a remorseless, faux-military salute. Once seated, Breivik's case began with the reading of his indictment. Not only had the neo-Nazi defendant critically injured dozens of people on July 22, 2011, but he also killed 77 innocent souls. Next, the prosecution made its introductory statement. The defense team followed with comments of its own. When the defendant took the floor, he said the attacks were a preventative strike. He claimed to have acted in self-defense on behalf of his people, city, and country. Then he demanded the court find him innocent of all charges. A few months before the attack, Breivik explained to a family member that he wanted to do something that would make his father proud. His mother left his father when he was only a year old. Breivik barely knew the man. Still, he wanted his dad to notice him. Once the court heard Breivik's testimony, the prosecution offered security camera footage and mobile phone records of the fateful attacks. On the afternoon of July 22, 2011, after leaving the house he shared with his mother, Breivik drove through Oslo and merged with the traffic. He drove straight to a government enclave housing the office of Norway's Prime Minister, Jens Stoltenberg. Security camera footage shows his white van cautiously parking in the building's garage. Upon arriving, Breivik climbed into the back of his van and put on a uniform. He pulled dark slacks over a black wetsuit and buttoned up a utility vest with stuffed pockets. On his right breast, a patch read Politi, Norwegian for police. Boots laced tight, he unzipped a canvas bag that held a homemade fertilizer bomb. He'd spent the previous few months constructing the incendiary device. 
Breivik lit the fuse, slipped out of the back of the van, and made his way to a nearby ferry station. Moments later, around 3.30 p.m., the bomb exploded. The massive blast passed through several buildings and shattered the windows of the government's 17-story high-rise. Smoke rose from the ground level, shrouding the upper floors in a thick haze. The immediate aftermath presented a scene of utter chaos and panic. Victims struck by glass and debris bled in the street. One woman cried out in agony, stabbed between skull and skin by a piece of window frame from her 10th floor office. Others wept and ran as the count of fatalities rose to eight. Meanwhile, Breivik relocated to a lake ferry 20 miles northwest of Oslo. He armed himself with high-capacity ammunition clips, a semi-automatic Glock pistol, and a Ruger Mini-14 rifle. The Glock had an etching of the Norse god Thor's hammer on its grip. Clad in his commander's uniform, Breivik told the ferry's captain he was a police officer. He claimed he was assigned to perform a security check on Utoya Island in relation to a recent terrorist attack in central Oslo. The ferryman transported Breivik to the camp around 5 p.m., not realizing he was the one responsible for the aforementioned attack. Rain misted the landing as the ferry docked. Breivik entered the camp quietly. When he came across a counselor and a security guard, he calmly explained he was there to investigate any threats to the camp. But when the security guard asked him why the police hadn't called ahead of his arrival, Breivik fired a shot. Then he shot the counselor. They were easy kills. Hearing gunfire, some of the children fled. Others were confused. Breivik steadily moved up the camp's main lawn, picking them off one by one, firing on all he saw. Young campers raced to escape from the killer, screaming to warn their friends. But the gunman paid no mind to their fear. He just kept killing at random and shouting, I'm going to kill you all. You're all going to die. The children smelled metal and sulfur as shots rang out. Some campers plunged into the frigid waters in an attempt to swim to safe ground. Others hid under the corpses of their dead mates, afraid and shivering. Finally, at 6.25 p.m., two squads from Oslo's elite police force landed at the camp in commandeered civilian boats, 70 minutes after Breivik first hit the ground. There was no helicopter available to get them to the island quickly, and after driving to the ferry crossing, their own boat broke down. Four officers followed survivors' directions and went north, unsure of the shooter's location or if there was more than one killer. Six more officers took route to the south. After only a few minutes, the officers clocked the killer. They bolted to a clearing in the trees and, within minutes, came face to face with Breivik. He placed his weapons on the ground, raised his hands above his head, and waited for law enforcement to arrest him. As officers cuffed Breivik's hands, he told him they were not his targets. He considered the police his comrades. 
The bloodshed lasted more than an hour. When all was said and done, 77 souls, including many teenage children, were gone, lost to their families forever. Coming up, we'll examine Anders Bering Breivik's trial. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loie, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now back to the story. At just after 9 a.m. on April 16, 2012, the trial began for mass murderer and right-wing terrorist 33-year-old Anders Bering Breivik in Oslo, Norway. Breivik was an extremist, the self-proclaimed leader of the Knights Templar, a 12th-century group that no longer exists, but which Breivik fantasized would support his hateful, anti-Islamic, anti-multicultural agenda. He'd even written a 1,500-page manifesto called 2083, a European Declaration of Independence. The document, which was found online, lambasted European liberalists and criticized Muslims. It was not a totally original work, however. Much of it was plagiarized from Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber's manifesto. Nine months before the trial, on July 22, 2011, Breivik detonated a bomb outside the prime minister's office in Oslo. He then traveled to a nearby island and attacked a Labour Party youth camp. All told, Breivik slaughtered 77 people that day, and after his arrest, he said he would do it again. While his lack of remorse could have intensified the killer's trial in other countries, Norway's process of restorative justice shaped his trial and sentence in a different way. 
The trial of Anders Bering Breivik lasted four grueling months. It evoked new terror as audio proof from phone calls documented the children's panic as they screamed and ran. This tragedy was even more shocking because it could have been prevented. In extraordinary evidence played to the courtroom, phone records proved the gunman had actually called the police to give himself up twice. In the first call, Breivik identified himself by name and claimed he was the leader of the Norwegian anti-communist resistance movement. He offered to surrender at around 6 p.m., shortly after beginning the Utoya shooting. When nobody responded to his call, he decided to carry on. He tried again a half hour later, once more asking to surrender, this time on behalf of the Knights Templar, but the call was dropped. So he went on killing. Perhaps because he considered the police brethren, his calls could have signaled a deranged cry for approval. In any case, there were no officers at the stations to accept Breivik's official surrender, only the telephone operator. The police had rushed downtown to help secure the streets after the bombing. This gave Breivik time to go on murdering for another 40 minutes. At the trial, each of those 77 victims' families had the chance to speak out, along with every survivor of Breivik's attacks. A total of 174 court-appointed lawyers represented Breivik's victims. 77 autopsy reports were read, 77 accounts of murder were heard, and 77 biographies were recited to relay the unmet dreams of the departed. The overwhelming focus of Breivik's trial was on the trauma that his victims endured. Additionally, to assess Breivik's sanity, a panel of psychiatrists examined Breivik and allowed him to speak freely. Breivik was declared sane at the time of the attacks, and on August 24, 2012, he was sentenced to 21 years of preventative detention in an extra-high-security prison. Norway's maximum sentence for any crime is 21 years, but terms can be extended in five-year increments indefinitely if the prison system finds the offender hasn't been properly rehabilitated by the end of their initial sentence. As of 2021, 42-year-old Anders Bering Breivik resides in a three-room cell. He's not permitted to interact with any other inmates, but the killer will be eligible to seek parole later this year in July. His lawyer has already sent in his official request. Of course, the court will determine whether or not to release the mass murderer, and many, including the governing mayor of Oslo, feel Breivik remains a significant threat to his nation and should never be allowed to return to society. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. 
Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by John Levinson, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells and Alex Benedon, and fact-checking by Claire Cronin. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 